Systems that are designed to be systems versus really grooming talent to be the best version of themselves and giving them a path to have no ceiling is something that just really jived well for me. And I always felt with tennis, for example, you know, if I worked two times as hard as the people next to me and and studied on my off hours and cared and competed in the right tournaments, there should be no reason why I ever flatten or plateau. And so I just wanted to put myself in a professional environment that allowed for gradual and maybe not gradual, but constant self-improvement. Um, and I think that's really what I craved in more than anything else. So I think, you know, had I had I found a different career in something else that was that earlier on, maybe I would have been kind of equally satisfied. Uh, but, you know, I think I was a little bit lucky that I stumbled into a bunch of things that I didn't really know what I was doing or if I was excited about it or felt limiting. And so I think that's why I picked this path. Hi, and welcome to the Sliced Podcast, where we share startup stories from founders, investors, and CEOs from across the globe. A little bit about our platform, Startup Blog Post, is that we're a community where aspiring entrepreneurs and venture capital ecosystem stakeholders can share meaningful insights, engage with colleagues and peers, and stay informed. Hi, and welcome back to the Sliced Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Ahrens. Today's guest is Nick Kremitis, co-founder and CEO of Hunt Club. Hunt Club is a new category of search firm that leverages the power of relationships and referrals to find you the best talent. Hi, Nick. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Hey, Emily. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Of course. I'm so excited to get into this. First off, it looks like you and I have something in common. We're both athletes. Definitely. I see that you were a tennis player, past, present, current. Past, more past than present. I've, okay. uh, I've, I've retired a little bit since, but I've found like other racket sports to get into since. That's awesome. So looks like undergrad at Vanderbilt, which is where you play tennis. It. And then you went ahead and got your master's there in the School of Management. Why management? Did you have an idea of what you wanted to do at that point? Yeah, you know, so it was actually funny enough. It was um, it was kind of like a four week business boot camp. So oh. my whole wasn't like a proper master's. So I um, I actually so I played four years of tennis at Vanderbilt, and I had no business experience at all. And I graduated in two thousand nine. So I was trying to find a job, and and basically one of my business school professors and for undergraduate said you should apply to this program and go through it for four weeks, and it's a great way to kind of get basically consulting experience, work mm -hmm. on seven or eight real projects. Um. So on my LinkedIn, that's that's essentially what what that part of my profile is, is like a four week just consulting program. And it was one of the coolest programs ever that um, was run by this really incredible professor named Michael Burcham, who's built and sold three or four different startups. And wow. I, got, yeah, I got real life business experience as, as a guy that really knew nothing about anything but forehands and backhands at that point. Yeah, that's really cool. So at this point in your career or life, I guess, was the plan to go into business? Did you have an idea of what you wanted to do post-graduation? I didn't. Um, yeah. You know, business is such like a vague term for any 22-year-old who knows right. nothing. About life. It's just like a and giant people. cloud. It could be anything. Yeah. So, so I always knew, I knew, so my dad was a doctor. My mom was a special ed teacher. And so business wasn't really something that we 
grew up around with at the house. You know, mm-hmm. my dad was always showing us really cool x-rays. He was a pulmonologist, so he focused on lungs. So he was showing us cool x-rays, of, like quarters that would get stuck in lungs and crazy stuff. Um, and so like, I really didn't understand business, but I knew that I loved people. I loved making things and then mm-hmm. I played sports. I was a pretty competitive person growing up as an athlete. And so it felt like a great, great foray, but I, I didn't really know what it meant at the mm-hmm. time. And so then your first job out of school was as a consultant. Is that right? My first job was actually Northwestern's women's tennis coach. Really? Yeah. Wow. So I did the- um, it was a great experience. We were number one in the country, like won a Big Ten championship. Oh, my gosh. No credit to me. Their their actual head coach did an incredible job of recruiting. And I just <laughs> got to step up and step in on an awesome team. But I spent my first year there working with the women's team. And it was it was a great experience. That's so fun. So then consulting yeah. after that. <laughs> consulting after that, that. yeah. So, okay. So, but it was it was kind of a unique way that I got my first job. So so when I was applying for jobs right out of school, it was in the middle of the crash in 2009. And, you know, I was trying to get into consulting because that was the experience that I had through Vanderbilt's kind of graduate program that I went for four weeks and, and applied to all these firms and was able to get interviews. But I would be competing against people with three to five years of investment banking experience mm-hmm. or or three to five years of, of consulting experience. And, and my only practical skill set at that time was, as I mentioned, hitting forehands and backhands. Right. So, so I didn't get any jobs and ended up getting a call from Northwestern and took that job. But while I was there, um, one of my my current CTO and co-founder today, and I had built a basically a software platform that takes alumni of student athletes or programs and current students and organizes them almost in like a LinkedIn group software platform. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we built the software platform. We sold it to Northwestern and Vanderbilt. They were paying like 50 bucks a month. Nice. And, uh, yeah, it didn't pay <laughs> bills, but it was something. It's uh, an ROI. Yeah, it's a, it's a return on investment. I think we're still trying to pay off that return on investment. But, <laughs> but we used that to get my first job. I used that to get my first job at KPMG. So I really, in my interview, said, hey, I don't have business experience, but I built a business. Look what I, I did. Yeah. yeah. And you were able to scale it. That's really neat. And so then... Somehow you're gonna have to connect the dots. Somehow you got into investing. I would. Mm-hmm. How did that happen? Yeah, really. <laughs> my career path is really fuzzy. So, so I was at KPMG. I quickly realized I love building software and building startups and products, and got really excited about that. Um, so I left after two years, and I loved my experience there and learned a lot. But left after two years, and. Um, and went through an accelerator program called the Brandery in Cincinnati that focused on consumer goods and consumer products mm-hmm. and, um, and and did different software businesses. And so through that experience, I got to meet hundreds of different investors, pitch a business we had built on stage to investors and kind of just quickly realized that the Midwest, so I live in Chicago and this program was in Cincinnati, was still very nascent with investors. Like there weren't that many tech investors. Um, and many of the ones that were there didn't really understand what it's like to be, you know, 25, 26, trying to build a business. Mm-hmm. And, and so I came back to Chicago and was fortunate that I had some friends that had some family offices and, and knew a few high net worth folks that were really excited about investing in technology companies. Groupon had just gone public and Grubhub had gone public and they were quite a, kind of getting caught up in the, mm-hmm. the friends. And at that point, I had met 100 different venture funds, but you know, never raised any money from any of them. And I decided, well, I can help you find different startups to invest in. Um, so that's how it kind of all got put together, whereas essentially it was me convincing um, a couple of friends and family and and high net worth individuals that, that you know, maybe there could be some deal flow that I could present to them that could be 
great success and, and they could support awesome entrepreneurs. Yeah, and they didn't have to go, you know, source it themselves. You could just, you know, serve it to them. Here are some great opportunities. So was this the foray then into New Coast Ventures? Yeah, so New Coast Ventures basically was the vehicle that allowed us to invest and build software as almost a venture studio. And then Hunt Club was the second business that we incubated out of New Coast Ventures. Okay. Very, and does New Coast Ventures still operates today? Is that right? It doesn't. It so, doesn't. So, yeah. So it still exists as a like a holding vehicle for all of our investments over the last kind of seven, eight years, but it's not active as far as deploying new investments. And I still personally do a bunch of angel investing and occasionally do an SPV for a company I love or a founder mm-hmm. I love. But um, but really it's it's less there, more focused on growing Hunt Club. Right. So with New Coast Ventures, you also decided to do Hunt Club. So where was, what was the idea behind Hunt Club? I mean, whose idea was it? Was it based off an experience that you had? Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it, the, the aha moment came from me, even though I like to think of it as a collective team idea. Um, but, uh, but really it was, it was really simple. There were two trends that I'd noticed. So the first was a lot of the startups that we're investing in, kept retaining the services of traditional recruiting firms. And many of them just had no clue how to work with a high growth company or an early stage company. Mm -hmm. So the DNA between service provider and startup, there is such a disconnect on what makes a great first VPN marketing or what makes your great first sales leader. When a company grows and doubles or triples at its headcount in 18 months, you know, what does that DNA of talent look like versus hiring a VP of sales for Salesforce? Um, Mm -hmm. So I felt there's a huge disconnect in the market between the service providers of old and the companies of tomorrow. And then the second data point, which is was more just a you know observation that happened to me or something that happened to me was I had a friend that was an executive search and he kept winning digital focused searches and he kept looking at my LinkedIn and asking for referrals or introductions. I placed five people for him in a summer um, just through him really looking at my network and saying, can you introduce me to so-and-so? Mm-hmm. And I kept getting an email back from my network saying, hey, I actually took that job you sent me and never would have considered it and super happy and excited. And I was like, well, wait, so you took that job because of our relationship and friendship. And I don't get anything out of it. <laughs> hundreds of thousands of dollars and I get a nice email back. And this, They're saying this thanks. Guy, yeah, this guy's driving a Tesla, like picking me up to take me for a thank you cheeseburger. Um, right. right. It didn't it just, sit right with you. Yeah. And it wasn't about the money, but it was just about like how the whole thing works. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spent a lot of time shadowing these different firms and just realized none of them use any technology. It's so old school, but the best partners and recruiters and consultants at these firms curate amazing networks mm-hmm. and call on those networks to help find awesome talent. So I thought, you know, if that's the model how it exists today, why don't we build sort of a search firm 2.0 model where we have thousands of business leaders across the country referring for our customers. So when we're doing GoPuffs, VPN marketing search or dollar shave clubs, director of finance search, we could have hundreds of finance leaders or marketing leaders referring on your behalf. And we use our technology to, to augment that process and automate the parts that can be automated. It's so smart. And I can't believe it didn't exist sooner. You know, it's it's yeah. such a great idea. Did, did you have trouble because some of those firms you mentioned are older and a little bit antiquated? Did you have trouble bringing such like a new product to them and saying like, hey, trust me, trust the tech? You know, most of our customers today are customers disrupting the status quo a little bit. Right. So when you think about like akin brands and spirits, most of them are actually naturally a bit distrustful of the space and the industry in itself because it doesn't have like a glowing, you know, 
recommendation or it doesn't have like the best reputation in the recruiting industry. And, and so I think many of our customers and a lot of our customers were winning every single day, want to try and are craving to have a different model. Um, mm-hmm. So we, we think if we can build a brand that people love and trust, create everything from how you sign up to start to work with us to the onboarding process, to the experience and the service you get end to end, the quality of candidates, um, to the relationship we build after the actual transaction happens, we think we can rethink the entire model. And that's what we're trying to do here. So cool. And I am curious, it's your track is a little bit backwards in the sense of what we normally see, right? Normally it's like founder, 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 then investor. Do you think your prior experience investing applied to, you know, what you ended up doing with Hunt Club? Yeah, I think so. So I think being an investor is an incredible and I think Hunt Club is actually this too, so I'll go into it in a second. But being an investor is an incredible way to learn a wide breadth of so many different things. You get mm-hmm. to meet so many entrepreneurs and founders. You get to learn about so many different businesses and business models. When you invest in a company, you really get like the inside look as to why it does or doesn't work and not just the, the headlines. Um, and so, you know, having that exposure and experience, I think, allowed us to learn a tremendous amount to try and build something that we think is quite different, um, that we believe could could transform a space. And then that's the other part of what I love about love about Hunt Club is our customers are some of the fastest growing, you know, companies in, in the in the country and the world. And getting to watch them execute and how they think about talent and build and when to capitalize their business, when to not, what partners to pick. Like it's just an incredible learning exercise. So mm-hmm. as as an entrepreneur, like you, know, you get to learn something new every day, which is which is so much fun. That's so neat. And you know you hear the phrase and you mentioned a co-founder earlier, Scott, I think. You hear the phrase, it takes a village. It's a cliche, I know. But you have another co-founder. I'm curious how you guys met and decided to kind of tag team it. Yeah, so Scott and I grew up since we were 10 um, together playing tennis. We were teammates at Vanderbilt together. Okay, cool. And so we literally built four businesses together and and sort of worked together since we were 10 years old. So we joke we spend more time together than any of our significant others ever can catch up. Um, (laughs) You have a decade on them. Yeah, a decade on all of them. So we know (laughs) perks and ticks. And then, uh, and then Sami. So Sami Ahmed is our other co-founder, and Sami was a referral. So no way. Yeah, yeah. We we eat our own dog food over here, Emily. So (laughs) that's so cool. Yeah. So he he was referred by a friend I trusted that was with me in Cincinnati. He right when we were first starting the company and had the idea, he kind of walked into our office and said, "This is interesting." You know. We got to know each other, and I thought he'd be an amazing compliment to Scott and I, and been building it ever since together. That's really neat. Well, as we all know, and as an entrepreneur yourself, it's not always sunshine and rainbows, per se. So I'm curious, can you think back to a particular time, a risk you took, or maybe an obstacle you had to overcome, and then how you ultimately did that? Yeah. Too many to count. We need a <laughs> bottle of bourbon and like six hours in a fireplace. Uh, Sounds great. But uh, but I mean, I think COVID was an extremely challenging time. You know, our, our business, our revenue contracted quite a bit instantaneously, not just for our company, but for the world. And and we weren't sure what was going to happen next and how work would change. Mm-hmm. And so so we ended up having to for a lower percentage of the team, which was which was so teammates we loved and trusted and wanted to work with forever. And, and, and it was a terrible moment in time for, for us as a company and, and for those that we no longer got to work with. And, and, um, and I think it was a huge obstacle, right? How do you keep a team together? How do you make sure you do right by those in a moment of crisis in the world? And so 
we um we had some incredible learnings from that and and the fortunate thing is you know long term is i think covid created some great tailwinds for our business you can hire anyone anywhere work has totally changed right. companies are innovating in ways no one ever thought before um but that was a you know it was a huge challenge at the time to think about how do you mobilize your company fully virtually in a, in a day or two and how do you deal with um kind of a global crisis and and how do you really try and do right by those that that you need to and and try and protect the business but also making sure you're taking care of your people at the same time hi everyone it's sam just popping in to let you know that we are taking a two-week break for the holidays and we'll see you all in the new year coming up emily and nick talk about entrepreneurship measuring success and what's next for hunt club you mentioned COVID, and I'm curious, post, let's call it post-COVID for the sake of this question. Yeah. But um, I am curious, do you see what industry trends do you kind of see emerging? You know, I know personally off the top of my head at least three people that I know that are looking for different employment opportunities, not because they got fired or anything like that, but, you know, better benefits, better pay, things like that. And I know there's a lot of shifting happening in our culture. So I'm curious, kind of your thoughts since you're at the forefront of it. Yeah, there's lots of that, right? So I think there's a lot of lot of different trends. So the first being, you know, a lot of leaders kind of showed their colors in COVID yeah. and, and it changed how people think about, you know, what they really align to as a business and mm -hmm. what they care about in a company from a mission and values perspective. And so I think you're seeing a lot of shifting based on people's preferences and what they want in their career and life changing. So that's one one thing. The second is we're at this really interesting intersection of, you know, if you look at some of the the trends in venture, there's more capital deployed every quarter than than the previous year in, 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 in an incredibly like, you know, aggressive way. Where I think this year, I think the trend is like we'll deploy close to four hundred fifty to five hundred billion dollars domestically in venture backed businesses. We're in twenty. 19, I think it was close to 250. Um, mm -hmm. So with that creates all this innovation and with all this innovation creates the need to hire people. And for the first time, every single company can hire anybody anywhere, right? And right. so that's creating an incredible mess where traditionally, if you were a Denver-based company and you wanted to work for Facebook um, or Twitter, you'd have to move to San Francisco maybe to do it. Right. Now you can get a job at Facebook or Twitter. So yeah. large companies are hiring all the tech talent everywhere. There are more high growth startups that are raising tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. And they have the balance sheets to go hire anybody anywhere. And it's really, it's really making people question and wonder, you know, am I getting paid in an equitable fashion, mm -hmm. given that I just got a offer for 20% more? And do I believe in this company versus the 17 other things I'm getting? And so it's creating quite a mess. Um, and I think the third is actually really large enterprises are now thinking about digital transformation in ways they never did before based on how things were affected in COVID. And so mm -hmm. you know, like some really cool examples are, you know, Procter & Gamble now has direct-to-consumer direct businesses um, because they weren't sure what retail was going to be like in the middle right. of COVID. Right. And retail ended up doing it so well. But um, yeah. Well, it was so unknown there for a second. Now, you know, I think every corporation was like, you know, we're not sure. So we're just going to do the best pivot we can and then like hope that that pans out, you know? Totally. Yeah. Totally. So you can think about it basically venture back companies are 
raising more money than they ever have. The average average Series B was like eight to twelve million five years ago. Now it's like thirty to sixty million. Mm-hmm. Uh, large tech companies are recruiting from everywhere, and large enterprises are transforming their businesses, looking for the same talent as those two other entities. And so it's just creating optionality that the world has never had before. As all of us are human beings are starting to realign what really matters to us and work and where we want to work and how we want to work and who we want to work for. And, mm-hmm. and that's created a lot of change. Yeah. Well, speaking of your work, it landed you in Forbes 30 under 30. Is that correct? Yeah. That's yeah. very cool. That's a huge Thank accomplishment. You. That's Appreciate awesome. It. Did yeah, you I laugh now. When I'm you... 35 and it's like, oh, God, you now I have to like, figure out what the next thing is. No, you can coast now. You've made it. You're in 30 and yeah. 30. There you go. Totally. That's awesome. Do, when you think back on your education and your career up until this point, you know, those accolades and things like that, did you ever really see yourself as an entrepreneur? And did you ever see yourself in the position that you're in now? I didn't know what it was called when I was younger, but... The thing I loved about, and you probably can totally resonate with this, Emily, being an athlete, is you want to do something where there isn't really a ceiling on you, mm-hmm. right? You're as good, as as hard as you work, and as passionate as you can be about something. And and as much respect as I have for my previous employers at KPMG or just large corporations doing incredible things, systems that are designed to be systems versus really grooming talent to be the best version of themselves and giving them a path to have no ceiling is something that just really jived well for me. And I always felt with tennis, for example, you know, if I worked two times as hard as the people next to me and and studied on my off hours and cared and competed in the right tournaments, there should be no reason why I ever flatten or plateau. And so I just wanted to put myself in a professional environment that allowed for gradual and maybe not gradual, but constant self-improvement. Um, and I think that's really what I craved mm-hmm. in more than anything else. So I think you know, had I had I found a different career in something else that was that earlier on, maybe I would have been kind of equally satisfied. Uh, but, you know, I think I was a little bit lucky that I stumbled into a bunch of things that I didn't really know what I was doing or if I was excited about it or felt limiting. And so I think that's why I picked this path. No, that's awesome. I can relate to a little piece of that. I remember my coach said to me at one point, I was not the fastest on the team by any means, but I just like outworked them all. You know, I was just like, if I can't beat you guys, I can at least try and catch up to you guys. So I'll totally. just do that. <laughs> yeah. And then as you did that, you found that you were starting to beat some of them because of the work you put in, right? And I hope they don't listen to this. I'm so sorry. Please yeah. turn this off if you are. Yeah. <laughs> just I'll hype you up. Awesome. Well, do you have a piece of advice for another entrepreneur out there? Maybe one that's just getting started or maybe somebody who's hit a little patch of adversity? Yeah, I think two things. I think I see a lot of founders fall into a trap of caring about the optics and the external benefits of being an entrepreneur versus caring about their team and their customers. And at the end of the day, the ones that I've seen be most successful certainly get engaged in fundraising and get engaged in in a lot of other things, but really care a ton about their people and their customers. And I think at the end of the day, you know, building a business or a tech startup that hopefully is a business mm-hmm. is really about your users and your customers. And so I think focusing and doubling and tripling down on what they think and what they care about and blocking the noise is um is a really great way to to get started. And then from an adversity perspective, you know, I think really making sure you have sort of product founder fit. So I started um, a company called TapFit at that accelerator program I'd mentioned. Okay. 
you've probably never heard of TapFit before. I can't say that I have. I'm sorry. Don't worry. There's not that many people have. But you've probably heard of ClassPass, right? Yes. So it was basically ClassPass before ClassPass. Okay. Great idea. Great idea. Great idea. Terrible execution. Terrible founder product fit. Like during the period of building this business, I probably went to a gym or a studio like less than five times. Mm. And so probably wasn't the right guy to be building a fitness business. Um, but with Hunt Club, you know, I love the intersection of, of people, network effects, technology, and, and high quality service. And so when we've had really difficult moments, which happen all the time, mm-hmm. it was never about like, let's fold this thing up and move on to the next one. It was always about like, how do we get over the next hurdle? So right. I think finding a space or, or a problem set that you believe in and really believe in um, and not just say you believe in it. But really trying to find that, I think is, and it doesn't have to be an idea. It doesn't have to be a business yet, but just a problem or a thesis, I think is um, is really important in a successful business. For sure. Yeah. I'm curious about the name Hunt Club. Yeah. Why Hunt Club? Can you yeah, explain so, the story behind it? Sure. So so it was, it's funny. So we, I'll never forget the exercise. So one of the first companies we had incubated um, was a company called Speculus, Speculus, and their founder is this awesome, like, highly creative, brilliant guy that was worked in the agency world. And so we were thinking about names and it was when trunk club was scaling fast and dollar mm. shave club was scaling fast. And I always thought that the executive search business, you know, traditionally was called headhunters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so given that like the executive search business was called headhunters, I thought to myself, well, what would be like a fun branded play on words that isn't necessarily, you know, a negative thing, but more of a higher end premium club. Um, and that's how we landed on it. Okay. So, very cool. We yeah. were looking, Sam and I were looking at the logo and we weren't sure. Cause it has, does it have like ears? In the so case? that's a Fox key. So back in the day, okay, she's right. Club. She's pointing to herself. Yes, you were right. <laughs> Sam, you're intuitive. <laughs> Did you know the little digital bit on the key? Did you guys pick up on that? No, no. one ever. No. no. Check it out. There's like a little digital bit at the end of the key. So. Oh, cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you were almost right then. (laughs) So what's next for Hunt Club? I mean, do you guys have any plans in the future? And and what's next for you? Do you think you'll continue your hand at innovating and or will this be it? Yeah. No, I think I mean, I think it's for this business. I think we're still in day one where we've got a lot of different ideas on how to scale both the core of what we're doing and build tangential products and services off of, you know, a large network of incredible people referring talented folks for for things. So, you know, the next next couple of years really look like scaling our core business and investing in, in new innovative products and services under the Hunt Club brand. For me, yeah, I think there's very rare moments where you kind of find a team you love to work with a space where you get sort of macro tailwinds that you believe will persist for a long time and, and like a problem set that just like evolves and becomes more interesting on a daily basis. So mm-hmm. as long as our company will have me and our board will have me and, and um, I'm the right person to, to hopefully leave this company, I, I hope to stick around for, for as long as I can. That's awesome. Do you, we hear some of our guests say this, I'm curious about you. Do you always have like a Rolodex of ideas in your head? I do. Okay. Um, some of them are so terrible and some well, of them you don't know. might be terrible. Uh, 
But you know, the interesting thing is I actually start thinking for this. And that's, I think, why you know, landing on going back, like, how did I know this was sort of the right one for us to build and scale? Right. Is most of the ideas now I have are actually things that can be built as an extension of our business. And so, so really, it's a lot of the ideation and, and like, ideas we have are based on existing customer conversations we're having or from a talent or a network perspective or things from a product perspective that we're building that we think can add value in other areas or, or, or customer stakeholders. So so I've got like a, a list of totally not tangential ideas mm-hmm. and then a list of tangential ideas that we're going to try and pick off as we go. That's cool. That's neat. And Thanks. then I kind of to close us out, but what is ultimately your definition of success? Like, how will you measure your success? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, personally, I think it's continuing to learn and evolve and not being afraid to push the envelope of what's possible. And so as long as as long as every quarter, month, year, I'm learning and, and learning alongside the business, that looks like success to me. Um, for, for our company and for our team, like I would love for in five to 10 years, really you know the alumni that leave having hunt club on your linkedin means something really special for what the job that you take next i'd love to be breeding the next sort of crop of incredible entrepreneurs who learn a lot of the skills to go build stuff that come out of our business and um you know i'd love to really transform the talent space so in three to five years we're the number one brand for digital talent and a trusted brand that people love and turn to to help them so if we can do a combination of those three things i'd be a pretty happy guy that's awesome. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add before I let you go, either about yourself, your tennis acumen, hunt club? <laughs> yeah. So for those listening, we are hiring for a lot of others, but also for ourselves. Um, so if anyone, and we do this really cool thing, Emily, where like, I think it's 80% of our recruiting team has never worked in talent or recruiting before. Um, so if anyone is excited about talent, loves hiring for their team, and is looking for an innovative company to be a part of, we'd love to talk. Um, How can they reach? Do they go to the website? or They can reach us at www.huntclub.com and find our careers page or okay. just shoot me a name at nick at huntclub.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Nick. I so appreciate your time. This was so fun. Yeah, it was awesome to meet you. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Sliced Podcast. If you're interested in sponsoring an episode of Sliced, please email newsroom at startupblogpost.com and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.